0: Uh. Yeah. welcome to on the show where we explore emerging social innovations and chat with social innovators i'm your host daniel Wednesday. Last season, we were joined by Dr. Alex Kahana. He helped us explore the healthcare systems globally and really highlighted that there is a lot left to be desired when it comes to how healthcare is distributed and delivered around the globe in all different contexts. He also talked about how in the United States, we have a particularly compromised system. The more we spend on healthcare, the worse our health outcomes are. Mo' money, mo' problems, as the notorious B.I.G. would say. So while we do have some amazing capabilities when it comes to, you know, pharmaceuticals and biomedical advancements, as a whole, the U.S. healthcare system is fractured and it's failing. While our politicians debate the merits of making you know, minor tweaks to our healthcare system, one nonprofit in Northern California is making huge strides in dramatically changing health outcomes. And in the process, they're saving governments, insurers, and patients millions of dollars. Ceres Community Project started out as a small effort to support a small community's health and food security challenges. But along the way, they discovered the power of their model and the impact of their work that it was far greater than initially envisioned. Now, 10 years after Ceres' conception, they're helping craft state and federal policy to reshape the role of nutrition in the healthcare conversation. Today, we have with us Catherine Couch, the visionary, the founder, and the executive director of Ceres Community Project. In this conversation, we're going to explore the innovative work that Ceres is doing, the enormous impact they're having, the challenges to shifting the healthcare and food dynamic in the U.S., and also the exciting road ahead. So, I've known Ceres for a number of years, been involved, and I'm excited to share it with uh, my listeners. So, can you briefly tell folks what Ceres is all about?
1: Sure. So, our primary work is we provide about 100,000, 100% organic meals a year to mostly very low income people mm-hmm. who are dealing with the health crisis. All of those meals are made by teens. Um, we run a youth development program that pulls teenagers from about sixty schools in two counties into what we call soil to community Food Systems Education and Leadership Development. So they learn how to grow, cook and eat healthy food, and they learn about the food system movement and um, and become change agents in in forwarding that. Um, that is our core work. We do that. We run that program in um, Sonoma and Marin counties through three program sites, through three commercial kitchens and two organic gardens. The second area of our work is, over the last um, eight years, six, eight years, we've trained um, just over a dozen communities around the country, and now Denmark, to replicate that model. And we run a national affiliate network um, of those programs and support them in growing their work in their community. Um, And then the third area, um, which we've been moving into over the last couple of years, is policy and advocacy work in um, Three areas. The first is um, integrating food into healthcare as a reimbursable medical expense. The second is promoting organic and the and the um, food and environmental and public health benefits of organic agriculture. And the third is really around supporting safety net services for the populations that we serve. So that's, you know, things like work requirements for Medicaid, cutting SNAP benefits, you know, all those things. And we're part of two. National coalitions um, that we that we actively engage with in terms of that policy work. So that's kind of like the big yeah, it's the big, big kind of system overview and just to have that full spectrum of community based on the ground work that is really the core of everything and that all of our other work really builds off of and then how we're leveraging that work because really what we know is that um, the reason that people are getting sick is um, it is related to systems and um, whether it's the lack of investment in food that we're making in this country or the way that healthcare works. And so we don't want to just help an individual person, we want to we want to influence the system so that fewer people get sick and more people can get better.
0: So can you tell me a little bit more about the uh, the policies you're helping craft around reimburse, reimbursable medical expenses? Yeah,
1: this is a really, really exciting area of work um, and there's a lot of momentum happening. So we, about five or six years ago, joined a, a national coalition called the Food as Medicine Coalition, and that's made up of two or three dozen agencies that mostly evolved during the AIDS epidemic. So think mid-80s, late 80s, um, when the AIDS epidemic was taking off, and um, and many, many um, victims of AIDS were shunned by their families, were alone. And these programs started to provide food and comfort to the, these people. And w- what they learned really early on, which I think is just fascinating, it and not surprising, is when AIDS patients are well-nourished, their viral load goes down, and they are less likely to transmit the virus. Huh. So Now take that in. So AIDS is an infectious disease. So the federal government, when the federal government funded the Ryan White Act, which is the federal funding stream that supports people living with AIDS, HIV, they included reimbursement for home-delivered meals as a covered medical benefit because we had shown this medical impact, right? If if people are well-nourished, their viral loads go down, they're less likely to transmit. So it became a strategy for curtailing the AIDS epidemic. It's the only place in the federal government where meals are being reimbursed as a medical benefit for a population with a specific illness. So fast forward, AIDS epidemic has changed. It's much more of kind of a chronic illness. People are living with it. Many of these agencies evolved and now serve people with lots of different illnesses. And they started to ask that same question what difference does nutrition make for someone with cancer for someone with diabetes for someone with heart disease and over the last six or seven years the food is medicine coalition has become one of the leading groups collecting the research and driving policy change around this so the first study came out in 2013 there was actually three studies published this year Um, one from community servings in Boston. There's a couple studies that Project Open Hand in San Francisco has done. Consistently, these studies are showing that when we include what we call medically tailored meals, so meals that are designed to meet the specific nutritional needs of your illness, when we include medically tailored meals as part of the treatment, um, people do better, their quality of life is better, their outcomes are better, things like uh, 50% more likely to adhere to their medication, and because they're doing better and feeling better, they're less likely to end up in the emergency department and less li- likely to be rehospitalized. And overall, we're showing anywhere from a 16 to 24 percent net savings on the healthcare cost side. Whoa. So just think about that. And let me get—I'll give you an example. So what's happening in healthcare is we have an explosion of chronic illness. 60 percent of deaths in the U.S. now have poor diet as a precipitating cause. So just take that in. We're essentially eating ourselves to illness and death. 42 million Americans are food insecure, and food insecurity is responsible for 77 billion a year in healthcare costs. So what that means is we are radically underinvesting in healthy food and we're paying for it on the healthcare side. So and the, the other, the other issue, the other thing that we've, we've discovered over the last five or six years is that only about 10% of your health outcomes are related to what happens in the doctor's office or the things that your doctor can prescribe for you. Mm-hmm. 30%, 10% is is, is genetics. Um, so the doctor's office is no more important than your genetics. 30% of your health outcomes are related to the choices you make every day. That's the good news and the bad news.
0: That's exercise, Diet, intake. happiness, all those uh-huh. things.
1: But 40% of your health outcomes are related to social determinants of health, i.e. the things that limit those choices for you. So if you're poor, if you're homebound, if you don't have good access to transportation, mm-hmm. all, all of those things constrain the set of choices that you can make. Right. So 70% are the choices you make and the things that constrain those choices. So what healthcare has realized is if we're gonna address chronic illness, we have to start looking outside the doctor's office. We have to start talking about um, asset building, financial asset building, home ownership, job training, transportation, literacy, food, all of those other things. Within that broad conversation about social determinants of health, one of the things that we find is food is really cheap. It's much more easy to implement than a housing program or a financial asset building program. And it's pretty easy to measure. So there's a lot of momentum now happening in the country. So you think about the research base that's starting to build up from the Food is Medicine Coalition and others that are starting to measure this impact that investments in food can make. And then you think about this this growing kind of interest in in public health and insurers and healthcare around, how do we deal with this social determinants of health picture? And food starts to rise up as this really simple and cost-effective thing that we can all wrap our heads around. So there's a lot of momentum building in the country now for um, how do we think about where food can make a difference in healthcare, how do we measure that difference and how do we start to capture the cost savings of it and then look at reinvesting that in programs so i'm going to to stop there fascinating Fascinating. isn't isn't it it's it's super it's super super exciting um and it's a moment and i think because healthcare costs are going up so much um you know there's there's just there's we're in a really interesting moment right now where um, over the next five to ten years we could see radical changes in how food is being integrated into care
0: is Now, in America, we've got a unique healthcare system. I think every country has got a different riff. Is there other countries that have taken a similar approach with leading with food?
1: I, you know, I, I don't know the answer to that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, what I'll say is that um, there's two approaches to this. One that is moving through, um, like, state and federal policy that I'll talk about, and the other one that is being driven by private insurers. Okay. Right? So... On the federal government side, um, about 18 months ago, I began a conversation with State Senator Mike McGuire, who's our state senator here in Sonoma County, um, about having him understand our work as a healthcare intervention. Mm -hmm. And Mike loves our work, and um, it's really easy for people to look at at us and say, oh, isn't that so sweet? All those teens who make those meals for those cancer patients, that is like so wonderful, and it, and it is, and it is all of those things, and there's a, um, a way that we're strengthening community connections and engaging youth, and that's all true, but I wanted to shift him into understanding how this really is a medical intervention, and Mike is a sharp guy, and he got it right away, and he got excited and asked me, you know, what, what, what needs to happen here? Like, how can I help? And one of the big things is that most of the research studies that have been done are one agency in one location. There's not been multi agency studies or statewide studies. And so I said to him, we need bigger research studies so that we can extrapolate from them and so that people can look and say, oh, wow, if it made this difference in these seven counties in California, then it's something we should look at. Yeah. So I came back, we had a meeting two hours, two, two months later, and um, he basically proposed to me that we ask the California legislature. For nine million dollars to do a statewide study, and um, I was really new to the whole political thing. I was like, "Sure, Mike, if you think that's the, you know, I had no idea whether is that whether it was ever even viable."
0: Federal or statewide funds before?
1: Um, just just through one grant program. Okay. So anyway, it was it was like I had no idea whether that even made sense. And his second question, his his question to me was, "Do you have colleagues around the state?" Well, California is the only state that has actually six medically tailored meal providers that I know from the Food is Medicine Coalition in San Diego, L.A., Santa Clara, San Francisco, and here. So I put a coalition together, um, and, and frankly, because we covered all of San Diego County, all of L.A. County, all of San Francisco, all of Alameda, and all of Santa Clara and Sonoma, we had most of the major decision makers, both on the assembly side and the Senate side, mm-hmm. in California in one of our districts. And lo and behold, mm-hmm. between the end of February and the end of June last year, we actually pulled it off and we got the California legislature to commit to six million over three years to do the first statewide study within the Medi-Cal system. So this is coming back to coming back to federal and state policy. Yeah. So this is the first study that's been done in the Medi-Cal system. And so over the next three years, A thousand Medi Cal patients, who are of course all very low income, who have congestive heart failure, will, which is a, you know, it's a chronic illness. People are not going to get better from it, but nutrition can make a huge difference because what happens is these patients who don't feel well, often can't stand for very long, or are coming in and out of the hospital end up eating processed food, it's very high in salt, they Mm -hmm. retain fluid, it puts pressure on their heart, and they end up back in the hospital. So we will be testing a 12-week medically tailored meal and and nutrition education intervention. So they get all of their meals for 12 weeks and four visits with a registered dietitian to learn Mm -hmm. why different kinds of food can make a difference for them. And then the research team will go directly into the Medi Cal claims database and compare this thousand people in terms of their, their um, stats, but also their utilization of healthcare compared to 4,000 similar patients who don't get the intervention. The goal is to drive policy change to start in California and, and be able to show that this $6 million investment potentially can save $12 million right, right. on the healthcare cost side and use that cost savings to drive policy change so that this would become a standard reimbursable expense within medi-cal in california and then we expand from there and we say okay now let's look at diabetes or now let's look at you know yeah. sub- something else so that's happening and then just quickly on the federal government side there there's a, a through the Food foodist medicine coalition and some other things there there's work being done to look at language changes in medicare language changes in Medi-Cal, that would allow home delivered meals to become a reimbursable expense in certain situations. And then we we drive it from there.
0: And that simple uh, tweaks to the language in the policy that'll open this up. There's some things that
1: can be done in what's called administrative language, which would require going through through the legislature. And then there's also some um, what are called markup bills that are being created, which are basically is, legislative language that's ready to get plugged in when there's an opportunity uh-huh. um, to start to drive change and right. and there's conversations happening at all levels in dc around food as medicine and again building on this research base that's essentially saying people do better and it costs us less money when we include food and that's really the bottom line right which is m- not rocket science but if you're going to drive policy change you've got to have the dollars and cents yeah. right to show yeah. that so yeah
0: the work that you've done is incredible, that's in the, uh, the front mirror is incredible. Yeah. And so you've done this all in a relatively short period of time, yeah. given how long okay. Series has been around as an organization. So I want to kind of pivot our conversation yeah, to focusing absolutely. on how you've been able to effectively scale this nonprofit.
1: Yeah, thank you. So we're um, we're just a little um, under 12 years old. We'll turn 12 at the end of next March. And um, we're, I think we're really, we've really been blessed. We've had a, we've had a lot of, of st- communities, starting with our community support, yeah. but also a lot of um, support from outside of this community for the work that we're doing. And I think, um, I think there's a couple reasons. Um, one is the engagement of youth, obviously not, um, not just youth, but the fact that we, we really have tried to take a holistic approach to community health. And, you know, one of the things I like to say is that um, there's a lot of things in our health that are out of our control. And two of the things that are in our control are really our, our relationships with food and healthy eating and our relationships with one another. Those are things that happen at a community level. Those are things that happen right here, yeah. you know, with you and I, with, with our neighbors, with our friends, with our family. And those are, those are things we really can impact. And so at a community level, Series has tried to create a model that um, is a structure of support um, for those two things: to bring people back into relationship with one another. We have over a thousand active volunteers. You know, six or eight hundred client families that we serve every year. Many community partners, and the way that we think about it is: no one who's part of Series, whether you're a donor, a client, a volunteer, a teen, are only a giver or a receiver. We're all givers and receivers because. Our clients, um, without our clients being willing to be vulnerable with us and ask for help, we wouldn't have a teen program that was making the difference that, we ha- that we're that we making with teens. Without those teens showing up, um, those clients wouldn't get meals. Everybody is giving and receiving in that equation. And that's really the way community used to work. Um, and I think in some ways we're just trying to, to model that way of being community for our young people today going forward. And then obviously the piece with food. And then the layer beyond that is, we understand that our environment our food system our healthcare system and our health is all one interconnected system and that the choices that we make as an organization have ripple out effects into all of that that's the reason we made a commitment to 100% organic food we don't want to be sourcing food that's making someone else sick while we're trying to make someone else get better right it doesn't that doesn't make any sense right. to be sourcing food that is causing Cancer rates to go, you know, through the roof for farm workers, or that is creating, um, causing river systems to be polluted, or or any of those things. Those are all health impacts. So, we're, if we're a health-serving organization, we want, to the extent that we can, take responsibility for that. So, I think we've part of how we've been successful is that we've con- continually looked for how do we maximize the transformative impact of the organization and the model and and we've learned and we've continued to add things that reflect that we're by far we're far from perfect we i'm sure we have many things that we can improve but we have a commitment to continuing to grow our own consciousness and to take responsibility for more and more of those impacts and in our work we're not just talking about meals to clients we're talking about how we grow the next generation of leadership, how we address chronic disease from a systems perspective, how our environment is related to our health. We're talking about all of those different layers of things. And so it creates a lot of opportunity for many different kinds of people with different kinds of interests and concerns to be part of the organization, if Mm -hmm. that makes sense. Yeah.
0: So in a lot of other sectors and issues that nonprofits are trying to address, I think um, we've seen modest ROI. In terms of the impact on them actually moving the needle on these mm-hmm. issues, you're somebody I just learned you have an <laughs> MBA, so you, you have a business lens. I can hear it in how you speak yep. to these issues. So I'm I'm curious what you think are some incentives that might be put into place to encourage other nonprofits to take risks, to think bigger, to yep. get to the systemic level that you're talking. Well, about. I, I
1: mean, I think the big the big there's two big challenges of the way nonprofits are funded. Um, one is that people love to give money for programs and they don't live, like to give money to what they call overhead. But no business runs without an accountant, no business runs without an HR person. Those are all absolutely- Or an inspiring leader. Or an aspiring leader, or the right facilities, okay. or the right computer equipment, or database systems, which we're now investing in. All of those things are critical to organizations being efficient and effective in their work. We don't think twice about paying for those things on the for-profit side. But there's often a lot of restrictions like organizations love to talk about like all of your money is going to go directly to that person that that you're trying to help and i hate it when people say that because we need the we we actually need to be funding the full cost of our work which includes the accountant the auditor the hr person hiring staff training all of those other things we need to think full cost so that shift from thinking i want to fund programs to i want to fund effectiveness is one of the things. And then the, the other related piece of that is we have to think about long-term investments. Um, we are not, um, you know, we can't think, oh, I'm gonna fund that organization for a year and expect something magical to happen. Our work takes time. And so the more funders get behind an organization and say, you can count on me for the next five years at 50,000 a year, dollars, $100,000 $100, a year, the more we have the confidence to take risks, right? Mm-hmm. We and we talk, we we say that all the time to our donors, that they're being willing to make a pledge to make that long-term investment. That gives us the confidence to know we're going to have the money we need. We make an investment today. We're going to have to keep making that investment, right? It, that it's not, right. you know, we grow our, we we're, we're going to add um, capacity in our programs next year. That's that's adding 100,000, not just next year, but the year after, the year after, the year after, right? So um, that ability to think more long term and also to fund the full cost of things, those are two things that um, that we need that, that donors and funders need to start really embracing if we're if we're going to scale nonprofit solutions to the level that they need to be.
0: And aside from just giving more money, how else can donors and grantees support organizations like Series in scaling?
1: I mean, I think, um, you know, we've, we've been effective because we've been able to network. And I, so I think there's something about networking. And um, there's a lot of um, great work being done. And there is a there are a lot of organizations that are out there that are um, able to support nonprofits. But if you don't know about them, they're not going to be able to help you. So I'm, I'm thinking about Nonprofit Finance Fund right now, which is a A nonprofit that um, works with other nonprofits to really think about their business case and help them understand what their full cost of of services are and to think about things like how do we build sustainable funding how do we make sure we're building surpluses in so we have the investments we need to invest in capital so i think philanthropists and, and and foundation funders can help make nonprofits aware of the spectrum of support that's out there they can help introduce them to other funders who might be a good match for their work. They can be ambassadors for the work in all the circles that they're in. Um, being out there and, and talking about what you're excited about that you're funding, that who knows what that will lead to. Yeah. So I'm a big fan of like generate the conversation, you know, and it will land where, it, where it's meant to land.
0: And one thing that I'm really struck as I run around this community is all the different places I see the series name in. Mm, It shows up in other nonprofits. It shows up Mm -hmm. in for-profit businesses. Mm -hmm. So how have you been uh, effective in developing all these partnerships?
1: Well, I think um, we... So I'm going to tell a little story. Um, We applied for funding from Walmart about uh, six or eight years ago and and i swear i thought our staff was going to mutiny when we applied for funding from walmart but the truth is or orga- walmart is now the largest r- uh, retailer of organic food in the country and most of our clients who are living below 200 percent of the federal poverty level are not going to shop at oliver's market or whole foods when right. they come off their program they're going to go to walmart or they're going to go to costco and if we're going to change the food system we need all the players to be moving forward None of us are perfect. Series isn't perfect. Walmart's not perfect. Whole Foods is not perfect. Oliver's not perfect. N- none of us are perfect. We need everybody on that spectrum. And I think we've taken that approach. Um, and uh, and we've found the, um, the places where we can make connections with a broad range of, of for-profit and, um, and foundation partners, and we've invited them to be part of our work. So we're funded by Andy's Produce, Oliver's Market. Safeway, Costco, Walmart, Whole Foods, that full spectrum, and a bunch of natural foods companies and, you know, a bunch of wineries and, you know, whatever whatever that is. And yeah. we, we've, we've found that spectrum. But the truth is, if we're going to change the food system, Walmart or McDonald's, frankly, making a decision to not carry chicken with antibiotics drives change in the industry. Um, and we need those big partners to be stepping up.
0: And I'm I'm glad you mentioned that. What what are some other uh, initiatives or food-based policies actions that are being implemented that are inspiring you that are giving you hope?
1: Well, I, I, the work that we talked about earlier in terms of healthcare reimbursement um, is is super exciting to me because, you know, a, an organization like us is never going to be able to raise enough money to feed everyone who needs it, nor can Redwood Empire Food Bank. But if Humana starts deciding that they're going to invest in food support for low-income members of theirs because emergency department visits go up by 27% the last week of the month for Medi-Cal patients because they run out of food, then you're driving system change in a way that none of us as individual nonprofits are going to be able to do. So I'm super excited about that. The other thing that I'm really excited about is... um, CCOF, the California Certified Organic Farmers, which are the largest certifier of organic farms in the world, um, are developing a policy platform around scaling organic agriculture in California. And um, this is the thing that's exciting about this. California, we have the potential to do that here. Um, There's the listening for it. There's the political support for it. Um, But organic agriculture um, impacts a lot of things that you might not think about. So Think, obviously, climate mitigation, um, soil health, the nutrition in food. But think about this one. Organic farms employ more year-round labor. When farm workers have year-round labor, they're more able to be stable, and their kids are more likely to stay in school and graduate from high school. High school graduation is the number one predictor of lifelong earnings and health. Hmm. So that's an outgrowth of growing organic agriculture in the state. So it's about jobs. It's about poverty alleviation. Yeah. It's about climate mitigation. It's about more nutritious food. It's about fewer environmental pesticides. It it can be about all those things. Yeah. And um, we we are we're really really excited about what CCOF is developing, and we're going to be we're going to be partners with them on, on driving that agenda in California.
0: Wow! Yeah. So so much exciting work, <laughs> yeah, and so awesome to, to hear about this. Yeah, yeah, Some, absolutely. So a- any final words, calls to action for folks who aren't hip to series or this work?
1: Well, I mean, obviously it's, you know, we're coming to the end of the year. It's a great time to give. If you are inspired by what we're doing, um, please go to our website. There's <clears throat> lots of information there. It's www.ceresproject.org. Um, and please feel free to reach out to me if you want to know more about the policy and advocacy work we're doing. And I think just... Um, just I think the thing that I'd like to say is, you know, realize there is so much really good work and really exciting work happening in in every sector. Um, You know, we're working in in California with Department of Healthcare Services, the agency that runs Medi-Cal for California on this statewide project, and they are so behind this effort. They believe in it. They want to make it happen. Um, You'd be surprised at where you can find partners and... um, I think all of us need to open our mind and realize we have more partners and there's more good work happening than we might think.
0: I've had the opportunity to hear Catherine Couch speak privately and publicly many times throughout the last few years. Each time I am so struck with the passion and knowledge she brings to the work that her and her team does. While a majority of the people that we've had on the show throughout the last few months have all been operating in the private sector, I felt it was a very important story and narrative to tell, and I'm glad that Catherine took the time to come on and explain their model. There's so much that we can all learn from what Ceres is doing and how they're going about it. Most notably is their focus on influencing systems. They've been so effective at influencing these systems because they have been radically collaborating. And when I say radically collaborating, I mean tapping into what we might consider very unlikely allies. Throughout this conversation, I kept thinking how important the words that Catherine was saying are So much of our healthcare conversation right now revolves around insurance and doctors and hospitals and pharma. But food? Community? The conversation about health outcomes, which is really at the crux of what we're talking about, is impacted far more by our day-to-day habits and activities than the larger medical industrial complex that we now dub as modern medicine. Without a doubt. Ceres is a game changer. From the farms that participate, to the youth that participate, to the patients that receive the meals, every stakeholder in the Series system is benefiting and has the joy of giving built into Ceres' model. Throughout the coming months and years, I have no doubt that Ceres is going to grow and scale Wildly. Their impact is being felt around the region for sure and around the state undoubtedly. And I think in the next few years, we're going to see some of the impacts of what Catherine was speaking to regarding federal policy. I hope this episode proved a nice teaser to the idea that food is medicine, that community is medicine. That reinforces the conversation that Dr. Kahana and I had a few months back that the cure to isolation, the cure to disease, is connection embodied by what Ceres is doing. So really, I encourage you, learn more about Ceres. Check out this model and other organizations that are replicating this model in your geography. If you go to www dot series org that series c e r e s project.org you can learn more about Catherine her teams her programs and their impact a big thanks to my buddy jay lately for providing the music and the sponsorship of the onward podcast jay lately is a hip-hop artist out of oakland who dedicates his time to enriching the lives of youth in Oakland and around the states through his music, through his words, and through his poetry. Interested in sponsoring the podcast yourself? Get at me. dweinsveig at gmail.com That's D-W-E-I-N-Z-V-E-G And last but certainly not least, a huge thanks to all my listeners, all my followers, and all my supporters. Make sure to subscribe to Onward at soundcloud.com backslash Onward. Find us at the iTunes podcast store or Anchor FM. And if you would be so kind as to leave a review, a little words, a few stars go a long way. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Onward. Until next time, Onward and Upward.